It's Gary Parish. It's Friday, December 7, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me. And yes, we are going to discuss uh, upcoming games on this podcast because it's, it's a pretty good weekend for games. We got Nevada, Arizona State, Kentucky, Seton Hall, Michigan State, Florida, Wisconsin, Marquette, Creighton, Nebraska, VCU, Virginia, Texas, Purdue. Weekend's biggest game is probably on Sunday, Tennessee, Gonzaga. In Phoenix, two top ten teams on Sunday afternoon. Grant Williams against Rui Hachimura should be great. But I wanted to start on the big recruiting news of the past couple of days, specifically Vernon Carey's commitment to Duke. The 16th center picked the Blue Devils over Michigan State and North Carolina. I thought it was interesting uh, for a few different reasons. A, it marks the seventh consecutive year that Duke has landed at least one top three prospect in the class. So that's a good run. Nobody else can match that. Two, um, I think it does probably answer some questions in some way about whether Duke was going to be able to continue to recruit at the highest level of the sport in the absence of Jeff Capel. He, of course, uh, left Mike Krzyzewski's staff last March, became the head coach at Pitt. And there's no denying that Jeff was a big part of Duke's recruiting wins in recent years, but it it does appear that the staff might might be okay without him. Duke now has two five-star prospects committed in the class of 2019, and that class currently ranks sixth nationally, according to 24-7 Sports. It'll likely get better going forward, considering Duke is seriously involved with at least two other top ten prospects. So it looks like Duke is going to be able to continue recruiting at the highest level of the sport, even without uh, Jeff Capel on that staff. And lastly, um, I, I thought the commitment speaks to the awareness of the Duke staff. My point being this, on the surface – it made no sense for Duke not to recruit James Wiseman. He's the number one player in the country. According to 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings, he's from the South. He's a good student. And yet Duke did not recruit him. Basically realized there was no point in recruiting him. The Duke staff wisely conceded James Wiseman to either Memphis or Kentucky. They knew what everybody else with a brain knew, that he was always going to go to either Memphis or Kentucky. So they decided, let's not waste any time. Let's just prioritize Vernon Carey from the jump, and they were rewarded for that on Thursday. Vernon Carey, he's going to be a Duke Blue Devil. Carey is a uh, – he's an interesting prospect. GP, I actually think he's got a shot. Let's see who else Duke brings in next season. Um, I think Carey's got a chance at being the better college player than Wiseman, personally. Um, I, but he is he is a center. I mean, he he's a lefty. He can shoot, um, you know – the latest, uh, the latest haul here for Duke, a big guy that it, that it quote needs heading in there. Um, so I think he'll be fine. I don't think he'll be as impactful um, as say Marvin Bagley the third to compare him to another Southpaw who was in Durham recently. Although, uh, in his brief ESPN interview on television after he committed, he said he thought his game uh, resembled uh, in some ways uh, Bagley and Wendell Carter. I actually think he's a different player from both of those guys overall. Um, but you know. Good get for good get for Duke, and now you've got Wiseman and Carey off the board at two four seven Sports. Those are the top two prospects in the class of twenty nineteen. So now you're looking at Cole Anthony at number three, and UNC is the is considered the leader for him, and I do think that he will go to UNC. Number four is Anthony Edwards, who Florida State is in the driver's seat, according to the crystal ball at 247 Sports. Hasn't committed yet. Five is Jaden McDaniels, a little bit of a polarizing prospect in that some people think he could prove to be eight, nine years from now 
at the NBA level will look back at the 2019 high school class and McDaniel is going to be the best pro. Some others think that he's highly overrated and uh, more worthy of, say, like you know, 12 to 20 overall in this class. It's sort of between San Diego State and Texas at the moment, although um, his recruitment is a little bit hard to gauge overall. And then six is a big one, Isaiah Stewart, and that's a battle between Duke and Michigan State. If Duke gets Isaiah Stewart, then it's going to be in contention again to have the number one class. I think no matter who Duke gets for 2019, it's clearly not going to match up to its 2018 class that's currently on campus. And for Michigan State, getting Isaiah Stewart would be uh, would be huge because it obviously lost out here. Michigan State and Duke were considered the two real competitors, even though Carolina was in Vernon Carey Jr.'s top three. It was uh, from the outside looking in, it was looked as uh, Michigan State going up against Duke, and Duke wins. We'll see if Tom Izzo can uh, can beat out Shashevsky for Isaiah Stewart, who's got a, a real shot at being a, a fantastic right away one and done kind of player next year as well. So Duke now has, I told you, two five-stars, three top 40 prospects from the class of 2019 committed. The third on that list is Boogie Ellis, who's uh, rated lower than uh, I guess most Duke recruits are usually rated. Uh, But you and I both saw him at Peach Jam, and that's really – he was terrific there, and I think that's really when Duke started to focus on him. They got that commitment uh, earlier in this uh, basketball season, and now they add Vernon Carey. Again, top six class in America, according to 24-7 Sports, and um, will almost certainly improve. It's not going to match what they did in 2018. It's possible nothing will ever match what they did in 2018, but the class of 2019 uh, is still going to be good enough, I think, to help them endure the presumed losses of R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, and, and yeah, I think probably also uh, Trey Jones. Before we go any further, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online, it can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be, not with SeatGeek, and that's because you know, SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites for you. That way you know you're getting the best prices, best seats, best value, always. You just type what you're looking for into the search bar. Three clicks later, you're buying tickets. It could not be easier. For instance, let's say you wanted to go to Sunday's Tennessee-Gonzaga game. It's in Phoenix. You can get tickets right now via SeatGeek. Just go into the search bar, type Gonzaga basketball, hit enter. The option is going to be right in front of you. When I checked this morning, seats were as low as $38. So you could go see uh, two top ten teams on Sunday. Uh, for as low as $38. And if you make the purchase, you got the tickets because every purchase made through SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. So next time you need tickets to anything, basketball games, football games, Broadway shows, concerts, whatever, you just open that SeatGeek app on your phone and get after it. Don't forget to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's promo code COLLEGEBB. You're going to get 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have tickets. So like I mentioned at the top, pretty good weekend of games. Nevada-Arizona State is late tonight. Tips at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Any chance you stay up for this? Um, I really want to watch this game, and the answer is going to be yes, but here's, here's how this is going to go down. Um, I'm going to pass out probably around – 10:45 when my when my baby boy almost 3 months old now is asleep he will wake me up between 12:20 and 1 a.m. to feed him a bottle I'll wake up 
I'll turn on that game and I'll uh, I'll watch it until the end or until it's uh, it's clearly in hand and one team's way ahead of the other. So I'm gonna watch it. I don't think I'm gonna be awake when it tips because I can't be I can't be going on that marathon. I, you know, getting up this morning at seven. Uh, we got to go get a Christmas tree later. This is gonna be a big day. I just know that uh, by the time eleven o'clock comes, I'm gonna be exhausted. So that's my long-winded answer, GP. I'm going to watch it. And for college fans that are maybe debating and and don't have a uh, a three-month-old child. I would highly recommend it because obviously, you know, two undefeated teams, uh, some fantastic athletes, and even Arizona State, which has Lugens Dort out of Canada, got him third in the Frosh Watch at the debut Frosh Watch this week. I think he's been the third most productive freshman in America behind Williamson and Barrett at Duke, and obviously Nevada's loaded. So this is a, this is a tremendous game right there for me, right there neck and neck with Gonzaga, Tennessee on Sunday. So yeah, I plan on watching. What about you, GP? Zero percent chance I'm going to be awake for this. Like my little boys usually stay with my mother on uh, Thursday night, and that means that my wife and I usually go to dinner and then like actually go to sleep early. You know, I know this is probably runs counter to what you would think, but my little ones are four and two, and I stay up with the four year old pretty late every night. Like we just hang out, we play Legos, we play video games. We uh we just kick it until he like actually is ready to like he can't hold his eyes open anymore. But when they're not here, I go to bed much earlier. So I think we went to bed last night around nine thirty, and then and I there was no need for this. I don't know why I did. I woke up at like three fifty, and I never went back to sleep. And so I've been up since three fifty. It's it's uh it's eleven ten Central Time right now. And I've been up since 3.50, and I am not going to be able to get a nap in today. There's just too much I have to do. And so I can't imagine I'm, I'm anywhere close to awake at 11 p.m. tonight. I got no shot at seeing this game. And it sucks because I like, I'm looking forward to this game. Two ranked teams, and it's one of the few real tests, assuming it's a test, that Nevada's got left on its regular season schedule. It is a legitimate test, and I'm a, I'm gonna call it right now. Here, Arizona State's gonna win this game. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> you can't it. pick a, You can't pick against the Wolfpack. I think I can, and I think I will, and I think I just did. I am gonna take Arizona State. I think this has got a fantastic chance at being a tremendous and a great game. Uh, Nevada, obviously, they're favored. I don't even know what the line is. Uh, maybe Paris. Does. I do. I, all I right, do. let me guess. Let me guess. Uh, let me Kim, guess. Let me guess. Kim Pom. Kim Pom. No, no, no! Don't tell me. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess. Hold okay. on. Okay. All right. I'll say this is in LA. I believe, right? This is at Staples Center. Yes. Okay. Um, I'll say Nevada. I'll say the betting line is Wolfpack six and a half. Very close. Um, Ken Pom's got it as a ten point spread. Um, but the line in Vegas right now is Nevada minus seven. Oh, God, I'm so good. Okay, yeah, I, I'm taking Arizona straight up and uh, clearly to cover, but I think we we diverge here. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take Nevada, if only because I, I don't think there's any real chance of Arizona State taking a uh, you know an undefeated record you know into January, February, anything like that. So I'm just rooting for the story here, and I think Nevada being undefeated – uh, can become a story in college basketball, and I think they've got the best chance in the country of taking an undefeated record deep into this college basketball season. Obviously, got to get past this one, but if they get past this one, um, they've they've got a real chance to 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 keep a zero in that loss column for a long, long time. On Sunday night's podcast, we were talking about Nevada because last week 
they went um, and won two true road games over quality opponents by double digits, Loyola, Chicago, and, uh, of course, USC. And sort of in passing, I said that this 2018-19 Nevada team reminds me a, a little bit of 2007-2008 Memphis in the sense that they returned a lot of good players from a team that won a lot. They play for a former NBA coach. They were built by a former NBA coach, and um, and they're in a league that they should overwhelm, and they added a five-star freshman to that returning group of very good and accomplished college basketball players. I actually went and looked it up, and it matches up pretty well. Um so here's what I wrote uh, at the top of this morning's uh, top 25 and one, which focused on Nevada. I wrote uh, that Memphis team, which was built outside of the normal power structure of the sport by a former NBA coach, John Calipari brought back three of the top four scores, namely Chris Douglas Roberts, Robert Dozier for the championship and Joey Dorsey from a 33 win team that won its league's regular season title by multiple games and advanced to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. It then added a five-star freshman, Derrick Rose, and quickly became an obvious contender to win the national championship. Similarly, this Nevada team, which was built outside of the normal power structure of the sport by a former NBA coach, Eric Musselman, brought back three of the top four scores, namely Caleb Martin, Jordan Caroline, and Cody Martin, from a 29-win team that won its league regular season title by multiple games and advanced to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. It then added a five-star freshman, that's Jordan Brown, and it has quickly become an obvious contender to win a national championship. Now, the flaw here is obviously Jordan Brown is not Derrick Rose. And I do think that Memphis team was better than this Nevada team. But that Memphis team started 26-0, and and if this Nevada team starts 26-0, and it will not surprise me at all. Um, I would say I would have mild surprise if a team gets to 26 and 0. Like that's that happens. Well, it's actually happened like three of the past five years in college basketball. But but historically, uh, post John Wooden UCLA, it's not exactly uh, an annual kind of thing there. But if it can get through Arizona State on Friday night, its its chances get that much better because this is such a talented talented group and i i like what arizona state has athletically overall i think this can be a, a fantastic game um so you've got nevada to win i've got arizona state to win uh i like the fact that we've got a, a really quality friday night college hoops tip now you're going to be passed out for it you're not going to be able to <laughs> right. watch it um, they, they, they might as well be playing this thing at three o'clock in the morning it would not matter to me <laughs> i hear you um but as we uh as we dip into uh to conference play pretty soon here although big 10 already started it and we had some uh, some fun games and good results this week obviously friday night is the relatively dormant night in college basketball for most of the season once we get to mid-december and beyond so this is a nice little treat before we get into what is a loaded Saturday and Sunday. This is um, especially good for college hoops because uh, college football, obviously, aside from the Army-Navy game on CBS on Saturday, aside from that. It's America's most watched network. That's America's most awarded network. It's the network of stars. That is uh, indeed. That is correct. Um, college hoops has the weekend to itself for the most part. Obviously, Sunday's got the NFL, but I'm speaking more particularly to Saturday. And this comes in advance of finals uh, hitting us uh, basically over the next two weeks, but especially the upcoming week, GP. So this is a, this is a good boost here because then schools won't have as many games. The sport won't be as um, populated with tilts as uh, as a lot of uh, finals take over. So we get a nice injection of games. So what are we looking at here overall for Saturday? So let's start on Saturday. Then we'll take Sunday after Saturday because that's the way the calendar works as well. We've got Kentucky Seton Hall at Madison Square Garden. We've got Michigan State, Florida at Exact Tech Arena 
inside the O'Connell Center. Shouts to the O-Dome. We got Mississippi State, Clemson, and Newark. We got Wisconsin at Marquette, Creighton at Nebraska, Buffalo at St. Bonaventure. Anything there interests you? Uh, a lot of it does, but I got to admit, I think you missed on one, and that's Xavier and Cincinnati, unless I completely missed. Did you mention X at Cincinnati? I did not, and this is the, this is this is argument A for when people say the polls don't matter. They go, oh, the polls don't matter. It doesn't matter if you're ranked or not. You want me to tell you why it matters? Because most people, when they click on college basketball scoreboards, yes. they just look at the top 25 scoreboard. And if you're not on there, it is possible, even for somebody who hosts a college basketball podcast, <laughs> to not make note that you're playing a basketball <laughs> game this weekend. Xavier Cincinnati is a massive rivalry game, but neither program is ranked. So I uh, – I didn't even realize you it missed was it. It's okay. I was not subversively trying to call you out there, GP. I just didn't know if you just. No, but, but that's a real thing. Like, yes. um, I, I, you know, but, um, like, why do I have Buffalo St. Bonaventure on here? A, because there's an interesting note about Buffalo that I wanted to make. But Buffalo is ranked, so it just hit me in the face when I look at the scoreboard. Since Xavier Cincinnati, one of you needs to be ranked, or I don't even know what's happening. Yeah, you no, know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Uh, I'll get to what you listed there real quick. Um, the only other ones, uh, just that, that again, they don't they don't hit the radar because the teams aren't ranked. Uh, Wichita State, Oklahoma. Let's just see what happens there. Both those teams, I think Wichita State even more so could use a win, but Oklahoma's schedule is brutal, and if it gets another win, it's it's really building up uh, NCAA tournament resume insurance. The best game between teams from one bid leagues uh i just gotta give a shout out to uh the vermont catamounts who host harvard um that's just a really good under the radar one wanted to give some mid-major love over there um that and buffalo st bonaventure are the two um of those kind of qualities and then we talked in the off season and on this on this podcast throughout the season about loyola chicago it gets its game in maryland uh against maryland i think maryland's going to win but uh and if that happens loyola chicago is going to just have taken on so much water it will be 500 it'll be five and five so keep an eye on that okay as for the ones you mentioned Kentucky Seton Hall, um, I uh, Kentucky should win, but uh, to me that's the kind of game where I wouldn't be surprised at all if I turned it on. There's 13 minutes to go in the second half, and Seton Hall's up by two. Kentucky's got the better team. Seton Hall has played some tight and interesting games this season. I saw them play close against Louisville, and they probably should have won. They eked one out against Miami, which was a good win. They lost close to St. Louis. They got blown out by Nebraska. I did not see that game. I don't know what to make of Seton Hall overall. I'm actually pretty intrigued to watch what the Pirates are against Kentucky, which is having its issues with the three-point line yet again this season. We didn't think that was going to happen. Louisville at Indiana, I would I would qualify this I think for Saturday, Parish, I I think this is the one that I'm I'm most interested by. Um, Indiana at home, Louisville's got some good wins. Indiana's just trying to keep pace, even though this obviously isn't a Big Ten game. It just won two Big Ten games uh, this week. Indiana did getting Northwestern and Penn State, but can you actually build some momentum to be a top twenty-five type team? Louisville, meanwhile, is doing okay for itself. It's six and two and should be seven and one because it should have defeated Marquette at the Barclays Center when I was there uh, two weeks back. So I'm I'm intrigued by that in particular. Wisconsin Marquette. We mentioned Xavier Cincinnati is a great in-state rivalry. It is, and I would qualify as a top five rivalry in college basketball. I'm going to anger both fan bases here. I would say Wisconsin Marquette is uh, is in that top ten category. There's no doubt about it. I don't think it's quite as good as Xavier Cincinnati. Yes, you can at me and bring your hate. Um, but Marquette's been uh, it's been rolling as of late, and this is an important game. Um, for Dude, wake wake me up when when, when Wisconsin Marquette's got a zip 'em up sound clip. I'm, I'm 
Exactly. Zip them up. Zip them up. That is one of the it, – it is certainly within the past decade a top five post-game rivalry quote. Now, Mike, here's the trivia time. Can you tell me who said zip them up? Two Holloway? I'm I'm 98% sure it was Two Holloway. Good call. Or Mark Ly- It was either Two Holloway or Mark Lyons. Yeah, you're right. I think it was Two Holloway. I think it was, t- I think it was two. I think it, up. I think it was two. Just Dude, to- it's my favorite. It's my favorite still to this day. Yes, and that comes after the, the brawl on the court. I mean, that was the whole deal where then they had to put the game on a neutral for like a couple of years. And- <laughs> yeah, he said, we some gangsters. <laughs> we from New York. <laughs> oh, just classic. Um, so Wisconsin at Marquette. Will be uh will be intriguing if Wisconsin can get that it's going to be nine and one its only loss against Virginia down in the Bahamas could be a, a reputation turning weekend for the Badgers and then I got to mention the CBS game Michigan State at Florida I just saw Florida this week at MSG at the Jimmy V um, spoke a little bit about that on the previous podcast Florida is bizarre they they um, they're not nearly as good offensively as Mike White thought that they would be defensively they're pretty good Michigan State meanwhile. Offensively, it's been it's been good. Defensively, just you know, just okay. Um, but it's it's a really good three point shooting team, and I actually think Florida's three point perimeter defense is solid. So that could be an ugly one. Like I I I I wrote a preview on the site for this, and I actually picked Florida to win at home. And even though we joke about no one just walks into the Yodo, well, actually, a lot of people do. They've lost eight or nine. <laughs> they've lost eight or nine games at home since Mike White became coach GP of the Gators. Uh, but I got the Yodome holding to form and uh, and being formidable overall. So I will take Florida to win a very close one, say about 68-65, 68-64, something like that. It's a good Saturday of games. You touched on Kentucky Seton Hall. This is, uh, I think, a you know, a, a real test for John Calipari's Wildcats because it's their first non-home game since they got blown out by Duke, and it also happens to be against the best team they've played since they got blown out by Duke. You know, this Seton Hall team's top 60 at Kimpom projected score is 78-71, so you want to see how they respond being on a neutral court again for the first time since November 6th and playing a top... 60 team again for the first time since November 6th. Um, uh, so that that Duke Seton Hall, you know, I mean, I mean that Kentucky Seton Hall game is is I think interesting because you know if if Kentucky obviously Kentucky had a lot of work to do and they have won every game they played since then, but have they gotten better or have they just benefited from playing inferior teams inside Rupp Arena? Perhaps we'll see uh, in that Kentucky uh, Seton Hall game. Yeah, I, I. I... I think Kentucky, if it can get right and shoot well from three, it would be it would be huge. Um, they, they're just they're only making thirty five percent of their shots from deep. They're they're not defending the three point line well. And I'm not going to say this is the referendum, but um, I'm prepared to write about it next week if, in fact, you know they lose. Seton Hall plays well uh, from beyond the arc, and and I I want to see. I think um, Cal mentioned earlier this week. You know, PJ Washington is such an important player to this team, and he hasn't been as good as they expected him to be. Reed Travis, for the most part, I would argue, has been about what they wanted him to be. I mean, he's getting to the line, he's rebounding well, he's scoring reliably. Kelton Johnson's been just about what they thought, but they haven't quite gotten what they want out of Washington. Tyler Hero expected to be this guy that was going to change the offense. He's shooting 32% from three-point range at this point. Um, Nick Richards has he just hasn't made a big bump as a sophomore yet, so they're just they're waiting to see what's going to happen here. Ashton Hagens has been 
a consistent player on defense overall, but, you know, freshman point guard who just hasn't been that kind of guy overall. And I would say that quickly, who's been the better of the two, um, trying to run the offense, hasn't even been a standout player yet. So, yeah, with Kentucky, we are in that spot now as we're approaching mid-December where there's just still a lot of questions, and that's fine. They only have one loss. They should win this game. Um, get to 8-1, and one, you're going to be in a good spot, but you're just waiting to see, like, is Kentucky going to be a, a fun, fantastic, borderline fantastic, awesome team to watch that has the pieces clicking? Will we see that on Saturday, or will we still see a team that uh, that isn't quite sure of what it wants to be, what it can be, what its overall identity is. Before we move on to Sunday, uh, one thing on Buffalo St. Bonaventure. Um, this is the first, and I, I'm, I would assume that no other top 25 team has anything like this on their schedule. Uh, this is the first game in a stretch in which Buffalo is going to play five of its next six games away from home. And not even just away from home, like true road games. They're at St. Bonaventure, then they come home, play Southern Illinois, and then it's at Syracuse, at Marquette, at Canisius, at Eastern Michigan. And so it's just a reminder that even though Nados has done a tremendous job with this team and this program in general, and they're 8-0 and they're ranked in the top 25 it's still very much a mid-major program because they have to go on the road and play these types of games. They do. Um, we'll you know, let's track and monitor here, obviously, how they play in the games and what the results are. But how the AP voters, who I would say have been, as a collective, um, and, P and fans obviously get uh, so up in arms about the rankings, and that's fine. They have the right to do that. Um, I would say the AP voters have been... Uh, a little more daring, some for the better and some for the not, as your as your weekly Monday poll attacks column points out. But if Buffalo, let's say they beat Bonaventure, Southern Illinois, by the way, might be the best team in the Valley. I think that the Valley itself, is st that's still a lot of stuff has to shake out there. Um, if it lost, it wouldn't be a great thing for Buffalo, but it wouldn't be some huge shame either. That is a, that is a good SIU team. But then let's say it just drops back-to-back -back games against Syracuse and Marquette. I, you know, Buffalo's good. If, if at that point it's, what, 10-2? and two? Don't know if it would be uh, an entirely uh, legitimate to say that team shouldn't be ranked in the top 25. They've got a really – they've got a quality team overall. C.J. Massenberg is a fantastic player, but it's not just him. Nick Perkins has been good this year, and this is a group that I think is good enough um, experienced enough after making the tournament last season and getting that win. Like, it can make it into the Sweet 16. So they, they have become – it's been Buffalo – and it's been Furman more than any other mid-majors to this point in the season. Radford was knocking on the door, but it couldn't get a win earlier this week. And if it had, it would have been a, a really, really good schedule at this point. But Buffalo and Furman, both ranked, are, are two of the, uh, the mid-majors who have stood out early to this point in the season. It's nice when we can get those stories. So on Sunday, then we get VCU at Virginia, Arizona at Alabama. We get Purdue at Texas. And then the big one's number one Gonzaga against number seven Tennessee at Talking Stick Resort Arena in phoenix you take in the vols or zags in that one and then i want to touch on um something on one of the previous games i mentioned as well yeah yeah yeah. no we'll uh we'll, here we'll loop back to uh definitely get to purdue to texas uh zona alabama just seems by the way that that might be a little slippery for zona but if it it, it can win and if it does arizona is going to be what eight and two at that point and, and doing well for itself overall um nevada by the way follows it up uh with a game against grand canyon you know not a not a crazy quick turnaround, but let's just see what Nevada does against Arizona State, and then we'll we'll wrap we'll wrap up both of their their performances on the Sunday podcast. But uh, but I'm intrigued by that. Um, Gonzaga Tennessee. So Gonzaga the other night gets a win, 81-79 at home. Rui Hachimura um, gets the uh, gets the game winning bucket. Um, 
and <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to shout out our podcast competition, Mr. Mark Titus, who um, so Jeff Goodman, our, our buddy, does he has reached out to some media members from like 10 different outlets and he didn't want to bother you. So of course he bothered me. And he's like, listen, I want to do a yearly, you know, straw poll for uh, the player of the year. I was like, okay, that's fine. So Rui was at the top of that poll and Titus goes, I can't believe Rui's even number one. He's not even the best player on this team. Uh, Referring to how awesome Brandon Clark has been. And Brandon Clark has been fantastic, but Rui Hachimura is the best player on this team. And no late, no later than five or six hours after Titus started giving us grief, Rui hits the winner against a good Washington team. That was a very, very good game. And I'm still in on Washington just being a talented and dangerous team. It's going to have to eventually prove it by getting some good wins. It's lost against Auburn, lost against Zaga, and it lost to it lost to another good one, and I'm blanking on it. But another team that's NCAA tournament quality, it still needs another good one, and it gets Virginia Tech next weekend. But Mike Hopkins is doing good stuff there. They got good athletes. Um, it was a good sign that they were able to By the way, so it's, it's Auburn, Minnesota, Gonzaga. Minnesota, yes, that's what it was. Thank you, GP. Um, so there, my point is Washington, I think, can and will and should get into the NCAA tournament if it plays to its talent level. It just needs to get a couple of those wins under its belt. We might have a situation where we look midway through the Pac-12 schedule and we say, oh, look at Washington here. Like You take its six best opponents and it's two and four. It just it ha- had opportunities. It couldn't steal them. It's a talented team. The resume isn't showing it. I wonder if that might happen, but I do lean in on them just squeaking in. For Gonzaga, um, hey, you win those kind of games if you're – you know, arguably the best team in the country. And it got that one. The offense has been fantastic. I think the defense is going to get even better. And now this is just purely a freaking fantastic game. Love this matchup against Tennessee, who has dudes. Um, I don't know why this is happening in Phoenix, but whatever, you've got Gonzaga playing Tennessee in Phoenix. Uh, you know what? I, I, I don't even know. It would be awesome if it was in Spokane or if it was down in Knoxville. That's not happening. Regardless, we get them on a neutral court environment, and hopefully the building is packed, and I think Tennessee can give a real push here. Tennessee's had good opportunities. You know, it played Kansas to overtime beat Louisville, and now it gets its third strong punch from a from a Final Four, or second strong punch from a Final Four contending team, third strong punch from an NCAA tournament quality kind of team. I think this will be close. I'm... I think I'll take Gonzaga, but damn, like this... Parrish, I can totally see us talking Sunday night, and Tennessee has won this game... You know, 76-74, and, and we're just getting into how great Grant Williams has been right there with Rui for player of the year at, in just in terms of if you were make like a top three, top four candidates. Grant Williams has been awesome, again, as expected, coming off SEC player of the year. I can see them winning. I'll take Gonzaga close, though, and I mean real close. I'm talking like it's a one-tops-two-possession game with 45 seconds to go. Give me the Zags. I'm with you on this game. I, it is, to me, the most interesting game uh, of the weekend. It, it, it's a game between two teams that I think you could reasonably um, project to go to a Final Four. I mean, they're, they're, I know it's number one against number seven, according to the AP poll. According to the top 25 and one, it's number one against number four, because I'm not going to punish Tennessee to lose. I mean, it's number two against number four, because I have Kansas number one. And UT's only loss is a overtime loss to Kansas on a neutral, so I'm not going to punish them for 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 that, so I've got Gonzaga number two. I've got Tennessee number four. Uh, these are two teams that both won conference championships last season, and they, they could uh, obviously Gonzaga is going to win another one. You know, Tennessee's got competition, whether it's Auburn um, or Kentucky or Mississippi State or somebody else. 
Um, but if you wanted to call Tennessee the favorite to win the SEC for the second consecutive year, um, nobody's going to call you crazy for, for doing that. Uh, by the way, the reason it's in Phoenix, it's one of those events, Air Force Reserve, Jerry Colangelo Classic. It's a doubleheader. Tennessee-Gonzaga is the first game, then Grand Canyon against Nevada. So Nevada's got a pretty quick turnaround. They play late on Friday night. And then again on Sunday afternoon in a different city. It's a little bit like a NCAA tournament setup, except for you know NCAA tournament. Obviously, you don't you play Friday Sunday, but you don't have to travel. Um, they're going to have to get on a plane, I would assume. Um, you know, it, it'll be early Saturday, no matter what. It'll either be like in the wee hours or or at some point Saturday morning. But um, they're young men. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll be able to handle it uh, just fine. But I, I can't wait for this Gonzaga Tennessee game. I, I think it'll be close. I think we'll look up under four timeout, and it'll be a one possession game. Or it will become a one-possession game at some point in those final four minutes. And, yeah, if we spend Sunday night talking about Tennessee won the game and Kansas is going to move to number one in the AP poll and how good are Rick Barnes' Vols, none of that will surprise me. Um, Tennessee's very, very good. Gonzaga is obviously great. On the player of the year stuff as it relates to Rui, um, I would just say this because I think we might be splitting hairs here. I think you can reasonably argue that through – however many games Gonzaga has played so far, nine, that Brandon Clark has been the best player on this team. But he is not Gonzaga's best player. He might, he might, have, he might be the player who's played the best, but he's not the best player. You can ask Mark Few. You can ask Tommy Lloyd. You can ask anybody on that staff. Who's your best player? And they will all tell you Rui Hachimura is the best player. And so I think that maybe you, you can just say it two different ways. The, Gonzaga's best player is Rui. The guy who might have played best for Gonzaga so far this season it might be Brandon Clark. But the best player is Rui, and, and uh, the coaching staff wouldn't even think that that's uh, debatable. Uh, I mentioned some other games on Sunday, and one of them is between two, I think, good three-loss teams. That's Purdue at Texas. Um, both teams have three losses, but they're very, very different three-loss teams. Um Purdue, and I've had Purdue in the top 25 and one um, even before they beat Maryland on Thursday night. And as recently as Thursday morning or Wednesday morning, I believe it was, somebody on Twitter was like, how could you have Purdue ranked? That's insane. They, they've lost three games. And I know I don't have to explain this to you, but quoting uh, win-loss records without context really doesn't mean anything at all to me, and it shouldn't mean anything to anybody. Now, the truth is, Purdue's three losses were all losses to teams that I got ranked ahead of them in the top 25 of one. It was a single-digit neutral court loss to Virginia Tech, a one-point loss at Florida State, and a, uh, yeah, 19-point loss, but a 19-point loss at Michigan. And it looks like just about everybody's going to get, you know, have their hands full with Michigan, whether it's on a neutral court, a home court, away court, wherever. So then Purdue, of course, bounces back, beats Maryland. So now nobody will complain when anybody has them on a top 25 ballot. But that's a 6-3 and three Purdue team that's currently top 15 at, at Kempop. Texas is a little different. This is a 5-3 and three Texas team that's now lost three straight games, and the last two have been home games to unranked opponents. They beat – they uh, you know, they, they opened 5-0 with wins over Arkansas, North Carolina. Super impressive. But then they lose a neutral court to Michigan State. And then they come home and lose to Radford, play at home again, lose to VCU. You concerned at all about Texas? 
Yeah, I think a little bit here. Just a little GP. Um, they're on the verge of pulling on Miami and going five and zero, and then and then landing at five and four with four straight losses. Although Miami's uh, has much more. Um, much more of a roster question <laughs> and uh, and injury issues and suspension issues o- overall, but like uh, Radford should make the tournament. Uh, VCU not as convinced, but uh, if I had to line up Radford versus VCU on a neutral, I think VCU is a, a better team. Um, the the Michigan State game it comes off after them beating UNC, so I, I am I concerned mildly. Uh, the Big 12 is going to be just completely fascinating um, because you've got teams right now that are – it's just hard to project how that, that that thing's going to shake out. And as we sit here on December 7th, Parrish, uh, I can confidently say that I have no confidence in what Texas is going to do in that league. If you tell me Texas finishes as high as third or as low as ninth, I would believe it. And I don't know how many other schools – in major conferences, have as wide of a spectrum of outcome, and part, big part of this is just the competitiveness of the Big Twelve. But where you could say, oh, that team can be as as good as three, and if you really wanted to, you could say argue two, but I, I think that's a hard sell. But as good as three, or as bad as the second worst team in the league, uh, Texas, the offense still needs uh, a bit of a boost. Um, they they've been inconsistent. I mean, you know, fifty three against VCU, fifty nine against Radford. There was some good stuff against the Michigan State overall, but Texas to me needs this game more than Purdue. Uh, but obviously the loser walks out with four losses. And you know, if you're if you're a power conference team with NCAA tournament aspirations, no matter your strength of schedule, you do not want to get to December eighth and already have taken four L's on the slate. That's going to be the case here, and because. Because of the venue, I'll take I'll take Texas. It's at home, but if this was on a neutral, I would take Purdue. I agree with you. I'll take the home team. If it were on a neutral, though, I would take Purdue. I think Purdue's the better team. Um, it also take this for whatever it's worth. But after Texas lost to VCU to drop to five and three, I got a text message from one of my buddies who follows college basketball. Um, he's not a Texas fan. He's uh, but but he just follows college basketball, and he said, "Hey, is Shaka in any trouble at Texas?" And the answer to that question is no. He's not in any trouble at Texas, but there are some rumblings about like how well things are going at Texas. You know, he's in his fourth year right now. He's made the NCAA tournament uh, in two of the previous three years, but he still has not won a game in the NCAA tournament at Texas. Um, and in in the Big 12, he finished fourth in year one, tenth in year two, and tied for sixth last season. You, you have any thoughts on Shaka Smart at Texas so far? Um, I think it's been a little bit of a disappointment. I wouldn't say it's an out-and-out uh, failure. I think that's way too premature at this point. But if, if the natives are a little bit restless, I understand that it's, it's – uh, it's okay to think that way. I think that this this season it could really you know depend on how this is going to go. Ultimately, earlier in the podcast, I mentioned Jade McDaniel's you know the, the fifth ranked prospect in the class of twenty nineteen is considering Texas. I think things like that, getting those kinds of wins uh, on the recruiting trail, are pretty important overall. Um, I, but I I am not there where like I guess if we were going to say worst case scenario, Texas just it winds up going. 
it winds up with like 16 wins, doesn't make the tournament. No, I do not think you fire Shaka Smart. I think you got to give it another year. Um, I still think that there's the, the capability of, of, of him being the right hire. Um, but, yeah, it has not gone as well as, as fans were hoping. I, I think there's no denying that at this point. Um, just like I said about win-loss records where they don't really mean much without context, I, I think when you talk about Shaka Smart, the context is important as well. I'm not here to make excuses for anybody, but I do think there's some explanations maybe there. So he, he takes over Texas, um, you know, before the 2015-16 season, goes to the NCAA tournament. Isaiah Taylor is his best player. He loses him early to the NBA draft. Now that happens all over the country, so like whatever. But But that did happen. And then this is where things really got unfortunate. 2016-17 season, so it's his second season, his leading score through the first 15 games is Tevin Mack. Then he has to suspend him, and he's done. So he lost his leading score smack dab in the middle of the season. And then they were bad. They finished 11-22 and overall, 4-14 and in the Big 12. Then last season, guess who the leading score was through the first um, – Ten games. Uh, was it was it was it Andrew Jones? I gotta think it was. It was Andrew Jones? Yeah. See, so he loses his best player, his or at least I should say his best score, top score, to to a leukemia diagnosis. So in consecutive years, Shock has only been there. This is his fourth year, so he's only completed three seasons. And in two of those three seasons, mid-season, he lost his top score, one to a suspension and one to leukemia. And so again, I'm not making excuses. But I do think that is an explanation for maybe why they haven't um, done what it is I know Texas fans want them to do. They've really had some bad luck at the top of the roster. They have, and context is important for discussions like this, particularly when you're dealing with uh, a big-time school, big-time athletic department, uh, a major job in college hoops, and you know they obviously care about football 17 times as much as they care about basketball at that place. But uh, you get to Texas after making a Final Four, and yes, they're going to expect you to make the NCAA tournament basically annually just to make it and then uh, have a deep run every every so often here. So uh, it's an intriguing season ahead. Uh, again, I just – I. I don't have a reliable forecast for what this Texas team is going to be. Um, it's been good defensively, but offensively not quite enough, and this is a pretty pivotal game at home on, on Sunday. Obviously, if you've wanted to argue the other side of Texas under Shaka, you know, recruiting classes do create expectations, and he had a top-10 recruiting class in 2016, 17, and 18, and he's never really had a top-10 team. So when you string recruiting classes like that, I mean, just on a very surface level, when fans say, okay, we've got a top 10 recruiting class three years in a row, where's our top 10 team? Um, you know, that, that, becomes, that becomes a thing. They've got a top 15 class committed right now for 2019. I'll, I'll say what I say about just about any coach at any school like Texas. If you keep stacking recruiting classes like that on top of each other, eventually um, you keep a guy a year longer than you thought you were going to rather than lose him a year before you thought you were going to, and it, it'll usually just click. If you tell me you've got a guy at a place like Texas who is recruiting at a high level consistently, and Shaka is doing that right now, I'd hold on to him for a while because eventually I do think it just it just happens. Keep in mind, Rick Barnes did not get fired at Texas because of losing. He got fired at Texas because he could he, he was not recruiting anymore at Texas the way you ought to recruit at Texas. Shaka is recruiting at Texas the way you should recruit at Texas. And I, I do think the results that 
fans want to go hand in hand with that, um, I do think they're they're around the corner. Maybe not in this season, but if you keep stacking recruiting classes like that, um, it usually happens uh, at some point. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember, if you haven't subscribed to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts yet, uh, go do that. It's very easy to do. It takes seconds. If you have already done that, uh, thank you. It makes a big difference, and so we appreciate you taking the time to do it, taking the time to give it a five-star rating, taking the time to to write nice comments. All of that really does matter, so uh, we appreciate it. If you, have, if you haven't done it yet and you're looking for a way you could ever repay us for talking to each other about college basketball three times a week, that is the best way to do it. Please go subscribe at Apple Podcasts, and we will talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then, take care.